Hey everyone, Nick Colius here. We've got a really interesting episode of the Bodybuilding.com podcast today. So you may know that it's not only November or whatever month it is when you're listening to this, it's also Movember. And Movember is a month when men tend to grow their mustaches out to bring awareness to men's health issues, things like prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and suicide. Uh, Let's talk about that last one in particular. Three quarters of suicides happen to men. It's the 10th leading cause of death in men in the US and it's only going up, unfortunately. And in the UK, where Fergus Crawley lives, it's the single biggest killer of men under the age of 45. So Fergus is a power lifter. He's competed at a pretty high level around the world. And he knows the struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts very well. But he also knows the incredible power that physical training and weights can give to a life that doesn't have direction. To help bring more attention to men's mental health and suicide prevention, he's actually undertaking a really fascinating challenge. He's going to attempt on December 12th to set the Guinness world record for the most weight squatted in 24 hours. And I was fortunate enough to chat with Fergus recently about his story and his attempt and his training. It's a really in-depth, pretty fascinating conversation. So let's listen in. Well, hey, I, uh, I really appreciate you talking with us on short notice. I, uh, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks, thanks for reaching out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, it's it's uh, not something we do for everybody. We don't always try to talk to everyone trying to set a Guinness World Record. But I really uh, I appreciated what I saw of your backstory, and also just this particular challenge is just a, a fascinating challenge on so many levels. I thought there has to be a good story there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so first, tell us um, how do you how how do you feel right now? And did you uh, did you already train today? Uh, no, I'm actually I'm in the middle of a deload week at the moment. So it was scheduled for scheduled for Monday next week, but it was brought forward for, based off the fact that my Friday and Saturday sash, session last week was the first real the first real point where I kind of felt like my joints were fighting back a little bit, shall we say? Which is which is good because I've lasted 14, 14 weeks of proper documented intense prep and this is the first week where i've woken up and thought right my hips aren't quite what they what they should be doing right and my knees aren't quite feeling the way they should so this week's been quite well i mean my deload week i'll still probably shift seventy five thousand kilos and move about 75 kilometers but it's a, it's a much lighter week than the ones i've been having so i'm feeling feeling a bit physically beaten up but already feeling a bit better this week in terms of just recovering because i've never felt that i've had one two two deloads as part of the process so far and i've honestly never never actually been able to feel sort of the recovery day by day just ticking away right and it's the first it's the first time i've not hated deloading where i go in the gym and like oh i wish i could be lifting heavier i wish i could push myself a bit harder this time i'm like oh thank god <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can I can leave the gym not feeling like I've been hit by a bus and right. sleep a bit sleep a bit com- more comfortable tonight. But um, no, I feel feeling in a good place. Good overall. Good. Now, I have a ton of questions for you, but before we dig into the details, I wanted to make clear that this isn't just something you're doing for fun. Fun being in, in quotes. It's the uh, it's kind of the culmination of a very serious journey for you. And I want yeah. and I wanted you to tell us about your path to get to this point in your life and how you became involved with the idea of Movember and, and men's issues like this. Yeah. So. I think to the best place to start is to understand the sort of sporting background I came from. So from the, about the age, so I grew up in Scotland, um, from the age of about 10, I played rugby, which is a, a less stop start version of American football, right. as 
I'm sure you'll, as I'm sure you know, is I think Sevens, Sevens is up and coming in in the states. Oh, definitely. Our la- our last yeah, podcast yeah. guest was is both a bodybuilder and a rugby player. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, yeah, there you go. Case in point. And so I had three concussions in four weeks when I was 17. So that put me out of any rugby playing ability for well, I was told five years. So, I, but I kind of. I saw a lot in the rugby community and the structure and focus it gave you because we trained as a team, we, we sort of functioned as a team, we socialized as a team, and the drive and determination underpinned my life. So I kind of carried on training as if I was going to go back to rugby at some point, but knowing that I wouldn't. I then met one of my good friends called Andy Smith, who's actually competing in the Pro Royal Powerlifting competition in March in Australia, and he got me into strength-specific sports. So since then, I've competed competed all over the world in powerlifting competitions. Uh, my best total, I think, is six six seven point five in kilos. That is, so squatted two hundred and sixty kilos, bench one hundred and sixty kilos, and deadlifted two seven two. Those aren't slouch numbers. Those are those are pretty serious numbers. I mean, in, in, yeah, in pounds, yeah. that's you know over over five hundred seventy pounds in the squat and deadlift. Yeah, yeah, they 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 they've steadily increased, but my squat's always been my strongest, the one I've enjoyed the most as well. So the physical side of things, how I got here was I, my, the, the friend that got me to transports is he's opening a gym in Edinburgh called lift, which I thought I'm not living in Edinburgh in Scotland anymore. What can I do to help him out? So I thought I'll think of a PR stunt and then came across the world record and thought I'll do it that way. But the reason I thought I could build something along that was basically with so I, I finished school and went to university, basically full of life, full of energy, quite mature for my age, with a very optimi- optimistic view on life, very driven, very focused. And it was almost weird in my year at school if you weren't hardworking and you weren't really driven. Kind of the inverse of what what you kind what you expect is that, is that we were all we could be left to our own devices and trusted to to take ourselves seriously and really focus on our goals. So. I went to university expecting to be able to continue that journey, continue developing myself and continue learning at the rate at which I wanted to. But I found quite quickly that the stimulus wasn't there. And the only real outlet I had in terms of fulfillment was through the powerlifting. So the gym became quickly became the focus of my day. As I realized within a couple of weeks at university that the people I was around in my accommodation and my course weren't going to be, they were perfectly pleasant people, but they weren't going to be friends for life. Which sounds a bit judgy, but you kind of just know after after a little while, don't you? you with just personality traits and the, with the way you – the first impressions you get, you know whether you're going to be able to get on with them for a long time or not. Right. And some so, people have that same feeling, but it takes them years in college to realize, you know, okay, the momentum yeah, has stopped. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I was kind of acutely aware that hmm, this isn't what I was expecting. And – Basically, that, that 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 continued for a long time. I, I never I never did anything. I, I tried to do a few things, but sort of just resided in the hand I'd been given and just kept training. Um, but again, that was an individual powerlifting is an individual sport. There wasn't a powerlifting team at my university, and the university is very it was very good at sport. So if you weren't in a team sport, that did put you at a bit of a disadvantage socially in the sense that if you were a sport driven person. You spent a lot of time with them, but my sport was individual. So what I was doing was spending a lot of time with myself. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a year and a half. It'd been like this for about a year and a half. Um, So I've been 
been retrospectively diagnosed as depressed. But in that entire year and a half, I have not voiced any serious concerns to friends or family. And all I'd said was that I wasn't enjoying things. It wasn't what I was expecting, et cetera, et cetera. Just, just kind of a bit, a bit of complaining, but by no means I need help. And along the way, I was kind of taking other people's problems on as I went. I was, I was trying to help other people out as much as I could, whilst at the same time knowing deep down that I wasn't in the best place I could be. So as a very sociable person, it got to the stage where I think five days passed where I didn't say a word to anyone other than to a coffee, a coffee shop checkout um, employee or to someone at the local supermarket or something like that. And I just sat back and thought, this isn't, this just isn't me. This isn't the person I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm sociable. I'm outgoing. I, I, I couldn't understand why I was in the position I was in, but it came down to the fact that I was, I'm a man. You don't talk about these things. I, I thought it would undermine people's expectations of my, me and also undermine my expectations of myself in that I felt by asking for help, I'd failed and people would see me that way. So the irony is I was training for strength, but ultimately feeling like self-help was a complete weakness. So basically the combination of all these things and the fact that I let it go on for so long meant that in May 2016, I actually attempted to take my own life, which, as you'd be pleased to hear and can probably figure out for yourselves, I failed to do so. But the worst thing is, I didn't wake up and come around from my attempt feeling like I'd sort of turned a corner and that was a realisation. My first thought was, you failed again. You can't, you've, you've, you've let yourself get to the stage and you can't even do this. And that was, that was quite, quite harrowing for me at the time. Cause I just, I felt even more lost than I did beforehand, but about five or six hours passed where I just sat there just contemplating things. And I, I did eventually come to the conclusion that something needed to change, but I was gonna, I, I had to take matters into my own hands cause no one had been able to help me so far. But again, that's an irrational thing to say cause I hadn't sought out any help. But my solution actually came in the form of a five and a half kilo, 14 week old French bulldog. So I got myself a dog and on walks, we, well, I say we, I spoke about what was going on as he can't speak back, obviously. So on our longer walks, I basically just started saying things out loud to him that I never thought I'd say out loud. And after a while, saying them out loud enough times made me comfortable with the reality of the situation. Mm. And when I got to that stage and the fact that he, he'd, re, he'd given me a sense of purpose again in the sense that I'd lost all value in my own life, but as soon as I had him to look after, his life was entirely valuable. Well, his, his life had the intrinsic value, which gave me intrinsic value because I, he was completely dependent upon me. So the dependency he had on me was what got me out of the situation I was in by giving me a sense of responsibility and a challenge as well as bringing up a puppy is, is no, no easy task, especially on your own. So that got me to the stage where I could be happy again in the sense that at the end of that university year, I, I, I kind of just allowed myself to be happy. Um, I've just spent a summer working in a bar. I was training with, with, with friends, but I was back, back home in Edinburgh in Scotland, trained. so I was training with friends, working in a bar, and I, I could just kind of be happy. But 
that went on for about a year and a half. And now what I've realized recently is that was me recovering mm-hmm. from the trauma by allowing, which isn't a bad thing um, because it allowed, I was allowing myself to be happy, which for a long time I hadn't been able to do. So I wasn't aware of the fact that, well, I, I was acutely aware, but I felt like I'd lost a part of myself, that real drive, that real focus that I had. And only recently have I, I feel like I've fully turned the corner in the sense that I'm back to being me because I've been happy for long enough and I've had enough time to reflect on what's happened and where I'm going that I can really sit back and think, right, you can be yourself again and you can really just just give everything you have to whatever you're focused on. Right. And you, so, I imagine you've also been able to see, it sounds like in this time, that you, this is far from a solitary experience that you had. Correct. Correct. So the interesting thing is, and this is a complete byproduct of the actual attempt itself, the planning that is. So I, I thought I was comfortable with the situation in the sense that it, it's been, well, it's been over two years since the attempt itself. But what since starting this and since talking to people and going along the campaign and talking about these issues, I've been able to look back and look forward and just kind of look at myself in my present situation. And I was just so aware of what couldn't what, what might not have been. So all the happiness I've experienced, all the all the all the happiness my friends, my family have experienced since then. There've been moments where I've just been so much more aware of the fact that that was almost not the case, and I'm so grateful for the fact that I've been given a second chance. That I'm just the the cause is just means so much to me now in the sense that I wouldn't wish the feeling or the suffering or the mental isolation that I went through on my worst enemy, and I know that there's thousands upon thousands of men around the world that feel in similar situations, but feel like they can't talk about it. And that's, that is the crux of the issue. It was for me, but I know in a lot of circles, the issue is the stigma of hardness that men need to be the pinnacle of toughness of bravery. But for me, bravery is having the courage to talk and people, people can view it as a weakness asking for help. But I know for a fact how much you need to summon in yourself to really be able to open up about it and build up that courage to actually say the right thing to get yourself out of the hole you're in. And that bravery and that responsibility is what makes, quote unquote, a, a real man. It's a contentious term, a real man. But I think in modern terms, being a man just means being responsible for yourself and being responsible for those around you. It's as simple as that. So the, the mission statement of my whole campaign, along along with November, is be a man of more words, as talking saves lives. So that was the, the strap line from there, um, Mental Health Awareness Month in September. And I've just managed to implement that into my personality and into my mission, because I think that that is the first step, not to recovery, but the first step to, to succeeding in bringing yourself back around, because at the very least, you're no longer alone. Right. If, you keep, if you're keeping everything to yourself, it's going to stay there and it's just going to bubble up. I can speak firsthand. I know what it feels like. It's horrible. But the, the turmoil you go through, the tossing and turning, the, the how do I get myself out of this, 
the simple solution, the simple first step is bring someone else on board to help you figure it out because you're not going to be able to do it yourself. If you, and I, I know for a fact, if, let, let's say that my suicide attempt was stage 10 and my joining of university was stage one. I think I probably could have got to about stage three or four where I knew I wasn't happy. And if I'd spoken to someone openly about it then, that would have been it. Mm-hmm. Sta- stage six or seven, I had this all hypothetical, of course, where I knew I knew I was in a bad place and I knew it was starting to have an effect on my life. That if I'd got to then, I still think I could have come back just just by talking about it. Then it got to the stage where, dep- where my depression actually started to affect me physically in that I couldn't sleep. My routine was all over the place. And when I did eventually sleep, I could sleep for like 20 hours and sleep through 15 alarms and wake up still feeling exhausted. And that was the first time that I really felt like I was completely lost and that I couldn't be helped. So I had so much time before that where I could have just been a man of more words and helped myself. But the stigma and the shame that I put on myself for thinking that I couldn't ask for help was just what stopped me from doing it. So all I'm trying to encourage with this and the message and the reasoning behind it is just that men should be able to talk universally in all cultures, in all, in all echelons of society. There's no reason that we can't talk. And I believe that the courage to be able to talk openly is a mark of bravery and a mark of strength rather than what in days gone by we have considered a mark of weakness. No, I think that's a really important message, and I, I think yeah, it's you know people think about when they when they think about talking through problems, they think it has to be this grandiose structured conversation where you come to real, you know, you cut you come to the answer right away. But what I hear you saying is it's not it doesn't matter as much what you're saying or who you're talking to. It's just the act of talking and getting that Correct. ball rolling. I mean, you were talking to a dog, and it took yeah, and, exactly. and it took months of talking to a dog. Yeah, yeah, almost a year before I opened up to my family about what had happened and only recently have I opened up to my friends because I thought I thought because I felt okay there was no need to burden them with the reality of what had happened and at the same time what I've realized recently is I also was doing a very good job of ignoring the reality because I've only really been able to confront the trauma by talking about it recently so what I've set out to make catharsis for other men has actually been the therapy that I've needed for the past two years which is fantastic because I feel in the best place I have done since I basically stuck the, the, the stages before I became depressed, which is brilliant. But the best thing about it is that in me doing that, along the way, I've managed to help some men take the first steps that they need to get themselves out of the, the situation they were in or help make some men more available to be talked to by those that are struggling. Because that's something else I'm really pushing as well, is that as well as being a man of more words, if you are struggling... We should all endeavour to make ourselves someone that someone that can be talked to. Because I know I could probably say, count on one hand, my friends, that I would be truly comfortable in just phoning them up and saying, look, this is what's going on. Please help me. So I think we should all, as friends, as sons, as fathers, as brothers, whatever it may be, just make a bit more of a conscious effort to be emotionally available if someone ever needs us to be. Because that's part of the challenge as well, is the listening. The talking is is important, but having someone on the end that can listen mm-hmm. can make it a lot easier for the person that's suffering if you can do a good job of it. 
I think that's this is this is great. I think it's great for people to hear. Uh, and Ben, and I'm curious how it led to this idea of attempting a feat of strength, though, and of of all things, you know, how you landed on this yeah. in, this in particular, because this is this is a challenge that's been done before by by somebody uh, in a kind of different way. But how did you how did you land on this idea um, and think, all right, this is what I need to do? So I thought one play to my strengths, which is squatting um and two i just love training and i i, I kind of felt I'd, I'd been falling out of love with training for a little i haven't competed in powerlifting since uh over a year ago now uh what's the day today a year a year and two days ago was my last competition um so i've kind of just been training for training sake for a while so i thought right you need something to make you love training again what are you good at you're good at squats okay let's see what we can do here how can you make that a bit more of a statement than just doing something silly squats related? And then I thought of just the fact that the stigma in society is that mental health is a weakness. So how do I counteract that notion of weakness by doing something that denotes strength, strength and endurance may I add, because it's a very long time, but I just wanted to balance the, it's almost the irony of the, the, the strength that will be needed to do this against some people's understanding of mental health as a weakness. And I thought that by doing something this extreme and telling my story along the way, it could hopefully just signal to men that no matter what you're willing to achieve, able to achieve or capable of achieving, you're still able to suffer in the sense that Kids will look at athletes, kids will look at their idols and they'll think they live these lives, that they're so amazing at what they do. And then they see it from the outside looking in and they'll probably think, why can't I be like that? How can, how can I be that successful? But behind the scenes, you, you don't know what's going on. And I think it comes down to the, the how the mighty fall argument in that it can happen to absolutely anyone. And the stronger you are, the more committed you are, the more driven you are, the more ambitious you are. I'd argue you almost have a bit further to fall. So I think the, the main thing is I want, I want my attempt to be a symbol of strength in and of itself. But I also want the process and the story behind it to become a symbol of strength as well, rather than people seeing the mental health as a weakness. So it's kind of just a twisted balancing of strength and weakness that I'd I thought it'd be a good way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've Whilst seen I've it, seen you put it in another interesting way. You said you were taking yourself into hell to inspire other yeah. men to get out. Um, I think that's yeah. that, that's yeah. that's a great perspective to have. And I, and I hear what you're saying about about people who are successful. I've talked to a lot of people who uh, said that you know after the most successful moment of their life, they won a bodybuilding show or they had a book come out or something. That was uh, the most deep depression of their life. Almost successful yeah. people because yeah. they got up to the top of the mountain and looked around and. Kind of said, well, this didn't save. This didn't save me. I thought this was going to be the thing that saved me from myself. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I think to take it down a step as well, people have challenges, people have goals in their everyday lives, and some sometimes all it takes is one one knock too many. So I think if we do just help people to understand how to manage it and understand that they're not alone and that they can talk about it, then as a society, we'll just be more of a community and just have a bit more of a productive attitude to things. Because if, if we start viewing it as something that can be managed rather than 
ostracized, then we can we can move forwards. An analogy that someone's used with me was if you picture every human being as a raft at sea, every everyone in the world will have some form of baggage that they carry with them. All it takes is one bag too many and your raft will start sinking. But in the same vein, all you need to do is get rid of that one bag and share it with someone else's raft and you can stay afloat. It's not about being baggage free. It's about staying afloat. We've all got challenges in our lives. We've all got things we need to deal with. But by sharing those challenges and by working together and actually by acknowledging that the baggage needs to be removed or dealt with, I think we can move forwards in a much more productive way in society as a whole. I agree with that. What do you know about the existing record, and what what did what did uh, what was your research like when you started to look into that? So I just I, I thought I'll look on the Guinness website. I hadn't had any experience with them before, so I thought I'd just look online, see uh, see what it was contained, and came across it. Saw the number and thought, oh, that's not awful. And then actually did the maths and yeah, kind of figured out where it was at. Sadly, however, the evidence I've seen and been told about, it doesn't look as if it was done to the same guidelines that I've been given. Right. So, I noticed that as well. I saw a video and yeah, it, it appears yeah. that uh, Sean Jones, who was in the UK in 2010 or so, maybe 2013, he did this on a Smith machine with a box, right? Yeah. That's, um, that's not what your plan is? No, that's not the plan. That's not what my guidelines are either. I did actually message Guinness saying and providing the evidence, but all I got in return was that he will have had the same guidelines as you, Fergus. So I've, I've not been talking about it too openly because they are different. Well, if he was given the same guidelines as me, then they weren't adhered to, and it was passed anyway, which is a bit frustrating. So we saw this and thought, after I failed to get it overturned, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it anyway and try and prove a point, which is just a bit of stubbornness in me. But at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I think it deserves to be done properly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, 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 I don't want to say too much just in case there is evidence that I've missed. But sure. from, the evidence, from the evidence that's available, it does look like the guidelines haven't been strictly adhered to at all. Well, I mean, that's that's the power lifter in you too, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Power lifters are stubborn. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, and it's got- it would be a it would be a, a really different challenge to do it in a in a Smith machine. I think, like, yeah, I, I I imagine you could basically fall asleep and still be squatting in a Smith machine. That's not an option that you have. No, no, I don't. Well, I, I don't think so. If I fall asleep with a bar on my back, I might be in a bit of trouble. I think. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll see what happens, but I. The, I'm I'm confident physically. I'll I'll say that. I'm not I'm not afraid to say that. I'm concerned about the psychological element where I stop believing that I'm confident physically. Because at the end of the day, if I'm starting eight p.m., so eight p.m. through to eight p.m. So twelfth twelfth of December, I'm starting eight p.m. Going through to the thirteenth at eight. So that night shift is going to be quite challenging right well i think give, give us a little uh, a little bit of information about how you reverse engineered exactly what you would be what you what you're going to have to lift overall how you're going to parse that out how you selected your weight yeah so basically sat down with my coach jonathan payne who works with complete human performance right so a great programming alex, yeah yeah alex alex viada's company Basically sat down with him, got his take on it. We knew I had a strength base, but 
my endurance base hasn't been trained particularly high over the past few years, I think it's fair to say. Um, and he, he basically, one of the first things he said to me that made me sort of go, huh, was let's treat this like an ultramarathon. And I thought, right, what does he mean by that? So the weight, it, I, we chose 60 kilos because 60 kilos is enough to screw me into the floor so that there's actually enough gravity to sort of keep me in position and go through the go through a squat consistently. Because if, if, if I've only got 40 kilos on my back, it's very easy to sway and twist and and kind of get all over the place. But 60 is enough to pin me down. Mm-hmm. For, for um, American listeners, that's about 132 pounds, so pretty close to a plate yeah. on each side. It's, you know, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's light, but it's not an insignificant amount of weight. It is, no. it is a weight. Yeah, um, and then we also just thought that anything much heavier than that would just be too taxing on my nervous system. So it, this is an endurance event, not a strength event in reality, in the sense that it requires a high strength base, yes, but the challenge is going to be the endurance, the actual the cardiovascular system. So, so my, my training has involved horrifying amounts of cardio that I kind of didn't see coming, to be honest, but uh, here we are. So the way we, we break it down as well is, so it's 460,000 kilos divided by 7,666. So 7,666 reps at 132 pounds, which is in that sort of time frame sounds okay. But then according to Google, it's 15 humpback whales. So when (laughs) when you think about it that way, it's a, it's a bit scarier, but the way I'm planning to do it is, well, this is, I've got a trial run on the 23rd of November. So 10 PM till 4 AM I'm doing a trial run, but we think the best way for me to do at the moment is to do, 25-minute EMOM, doing a set of 10 every minute on the minute with 60. Then take five minutes rest and do that for as many times until I need a much longer rest. The other thing we're toying with is doing a set of 10, um, set of 10 with 60 for an hour period, taking 60 seconds after each set. But it just depends on what's more efficient. So we'll play around with that and see what happens. But... I'm thinking that I'll be in good enough condition for the EMOM to be the best one. Because I did that before we even started my training. Well, not my training. started my sort of proper categorized block training. And I, I could do that for about, I could do that for 45 minutes straight. And I was pretty cooked at the end of it, but I didn't feel like it was impossible. And so, that, so, so the, the informal math that I did comes out to, uh, it, basically, if you did five every minute for twenty four hours, you'd be there. So if you're doing ten every yeah. minute, you can get you can get ahead a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that's the plan. That, the, that the difference the, plan. the difference between five reps a minute and ten reps a minute is pretty pretty significant, though, in terms of you know that that ex, that puts you what maybe over ten fifteen seconds, which means you're starting to build up a little lactic acid and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. it's there's yeah. there's a there's a, a a real challenge in there. Um, I, I was it makes me think that you probably have become quite familiar with with lactate in your in your training in recent weeks uh, oh you are spot on <laughs> spot on um so my third i think it was second week training so i had a couple of i had a week's testing and then i had um sort of a, a week that was just a bit of an interesting training week for me i had some monday and tuesday were weights wednesday was a threshold run so i did a mile at six out of ten mile at seven out of ten mile at eight out of ten 800 meters a nine out of 10 and 400 meters flat out oh, running. It's so a, a burner for me, for me, for me, with someone with very little aerobic experience since I was 18, that was a, but that was baptism by fire. And then the following week, 
on the Saturday, I see a two hour, two hour low intensity run. I'm like, bloody hell, I've, I've never, I've never ran for more than 40 minutes in my entire life other than on the rugby pitch, but you're doing other things. So it's not the same, but it was heart rate monitored. So coming from a, my, my, my interpretation of cardio has always been, it's only valid and it's only useful if you're pushing yourself and you feel like you're sort of gassed at the end of it. But this, this first two hour run, I actually really enjoyed. And I had to keep my heart rate around the 140 mark, which I was very rigid in doing. It was my first run. So I thought I'd be very by the book. And I looked at the clock. Oh, I was looking at the, the, I got to about 12 and a half miles in and I thought, huh, half marathon's 13.1 miles. I wonder, I wonder what time you're at. And I was like, right, you're at what, 136 or something. So I, I did my first long run. I did a half marathon in one hour and 41 minutes. Which is respectable. So, yeah, yeah. So for someone that's never ran more than 12K in their life, I was very happy with that and thought, okay, this is promising. Little did I know, week by week, this would go up and up. So the point, I think, highlights my cardio have been one Saturday, I had a three-hour low-intensity run, stopping every 15 minutes to do 50 continuous bodyweight squats and then straight back into running. So absolutely no rest. So three hours, 22 miles, 600 bodyweight squats. That was a bad one. Um, had four hours on the Watt bike on Saturday, just gone. And yeah, then I've had uh, my Fridays of interesting being a sort of CV slash weight mix. So did a lot of lunging and push pressing, which then culminated into a mile of lunges with 30 kilos on an athletics track, which was quite dull. And I was out of range of my Bluetooth headphones as well because <laughs> I didn't have any pockets. So that made it a very lonely afternoon. Then, yeah, the past the past three weeks, I've done a pyramid. So I've done 10 squats, 10 lunges, 10 behind the neck presses. This, is with, this was with 30 kilos for two weeks. So 10, 10, 10, 20, 20, 10, 30, 30, 10, 40, 40, 10, all the way up to 100 and then all the way back down. So that was with 30 kilos. I did that week one. I did that two hours, 54. The following week, I did it two hours, 26, which was really good. But the, the, interestingly, that wasn't challenging. It was just boring. So obviously, when I told my coach that, the response was, okay, next week, do it with 40 kilos. <laughs> and that took me, that took me three, and a, three, three hours and five minutes. And that was when I woke up. My joints were thinking, you know what? You've pushed us a bit far today. Um, but you weren't bored. Uh, it, I was bored. Don't get me wrong. I was bored, but it was a, it was visibly more challenging. People were people were people that saw me do it the week before said you looked like you were just going through the motions. But this week, I was I had to fight a bit more, and that was good though. But again, I, I, at no point did I think I can't do this, and it was eighty eighty eight thousand kilos shifted in three hours and five minutes across squats, lunges, and behind the neck press. And I've, what I've learned, interestingly, is the, the cardio has taught me almost a bit of a Zen mentality. So I kind of know when it's good to switch off and when it's good to fight. Because coming from powerlifting, it's it's all over. In I mean, it, across your nine lifts, you probably don't spend more than 20, 25 seconds on the tension. And the, there's a few grinders in there if you get into 25 seconds, I think. So... It's, it, you're used to this, all this pent-up energy, this burst, this absolute fight mentality just thrown at you. But with the long cardio, you can't do that. Otherwise, you burn out. You need to, you need to know what's coming. You need to breathe. You need to get on with it. And you need to be able to put yourself in the, the bigger picture 
and get it done. So what I've learned with the running is that when I come across a hill or something, or when I know I'm going up a hill and I've got 50 bodyweight squats to do at the top full of lactic acid, which has happened a fair few times actually and wasn't very nice, um, I know that the fight is temporary. So no, no one feeling lasts forever. We, we all know that in every aspect of life. But I've become so much better at understanding what, what that means for my body. So I know I know what my heart rate will do. I know what my rest periods will do. I know how the lactic will work alongside what I'm doing. And then just how to manage that internally. So I'm hoping that the psychological element to it will be much better managed because I've learned to switch between Zen and fight, sort of everything in between. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I mean by when I said I was just bored and going through the motions was that was when I just zenned out and just got on with it, treating it as if it was a cardiovascular exercise where you just it's one foot after the next, it's one squat after the next. That's the way to look at it, and that's the mentality I'm going to need to adopt for the challenge itself. Well, yeah, and your your body is also learning to use that lactate as fuel along the way, exactly. Right? Yeah, and yeah. that's that's kind of the cruel irony is you 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 have to teach it to do that, and there's only one way to do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just to yeah, take that, a bath. Is, yeah, yeah, it's uh, that is the sad reality. <laughs> really high rep um, walking lunges and things like that. There are things that body bodybuilders, powerlifters have done for a long time, and sort of sworn by as a as a secret ingredient uh, for for leg development and and for cardiovascular development. Do you feel like that was a a, a big help for you that assistance move? The lunge was sort of critical, and um, the whole way through, really, it's, it's been a big emphasis from my coach. And I think in terms of stability, imbalance, positioning, and sort of knowing where I'm best fit biomechanically has been enormously helpful. And the work capacity I've built up in my legs through the lunges, if you, if you compare me now to then in terms of what I could push out through my legs, the lunges, are, it, it's amazing how much I've adapted to just getting through them. So... When I used to do them, so when I've done bodybuilding training, when I've done when I've done powerlifting stuff and had lunges involved, it's always been towards the end of a session, and they've not really been prioritised. They've sort of been quote unquote a burnout or something like that. But as an as a leg movement for overall strength, stability, stability, and positioning, they've just done wonders for me. And my lower back and upper back and shoulders, especially keeping the bar in place for that long, has been challenging. So. They're not underutilized because they're, they're, they underpin a lot of a lot of programmings for bodybuilding and powerlifters. But I think the high rep, the the real challenge of it is is exciting, and I think there's a lot that could potentially be gained for people missing that sort of thing in their training from just putting a barbell on the back and just seeing how far they can go, mm-hmm. or seeing seeing how much they can develop over time. Because if you if you compare a video from me at the start to now, you can see where I've strengthened up, and you can see the benefits. It's amazing. Just just uprightness, positioning, the way my foot strikes the floor, the way that I stand up, and the way that I finish at the end. It's just it's worlds apart, worlds apart. I think one reason why people shy away from them is because there's there's nothing quite like them for the soreness that they can uh, impart. Yeah. Um, but uh, they also just they show you where where you're weak, especially when you're holding a weight and you have to stay upright, as you mentioned. You, you learn really quickly where you're weak. Um, how, how is yeah, how has yeah. that discovery process been for you of, of not only soaring at discovering what what to, where all the body parts are learning by pain but also yeah, just learning yeah. where you're weak my lower back has always been an issue with my training we've never quite cracked it um with coaches i've worked with i've never really understood my lower back 
there was a stage where I was doing sort of conjugate training. So I had a max effort lower body day and I pulled a, I pulled, uh, what is it? it just basically 495 pounds. I think it would have been off a two inch deficit. I pulled it for a single. It was hard, but it wasn't, it, I did a belvis as well. That was a key thing. And, and it was hard, put it down, did my working sets and thought my back offsets 80% and thought, Oh my God. They were they were hard work, and then I could not pull over uh, what would it be over over four hundred pounds for three weeks. My lower back just has never recovered. So the lunges after the first couple of weeks, it just highlighted so clearly to to my coach, who I've only been working with for this period. May I add, um, it just highlighted to him how much work my lower back needed. But the key thing is just the lunge volume and staying upright, and all the squat volume I've been doing. And row, rowing, rowing as well has been a huge thing just to build up that that work capacity and lactic acid in my lower back. The comparison from waking up in the mornings, the pain in my lower back, to then and now is huge. And something else is my glutes. My glutes have always thought have been strong because of the way that I've been able to squat and they've always felt strong. But the lunges have highlighted that actually they're one of the, the weakest links. So there's been more specific work done there. But again, the work has been quite specific to the weaknesses we highlighted from the the initial week of testing, which yeah highlighted those things. But in terms of me feeling where I was weak, I was so much more aware of where I was weak with the training going on because it was targeted and so voluminous that there was no hiding really. <laughs> so so what is the what is the macro view of your training? You, you, I think you mentioned that you've been doing this for. 14 weeks what was what was the big picture and and the how you were peaking toward this event the plan has always been to to build up my basically maintain my strength base as much as possible through through heavier work but the the, the training has it, it's followed a so period of micro cycles whereby i start my most intense sessions at the start of the week and then they slowly work down in intensity but build up in volume so it, it's it's just a standard sort of curve curve graph uh, model but the bigger picture for it is we'd be just wanting to build up my aerobic capacity as much as we can and work on my weaknesses as much as we can until about six weeks out so as of two weeks ago my squat specificity has got much much higher so my tuesday sessions have gone from being lower body with a squat focus to being just squats with um a more a more targeted volume focus and it's it's a bit disheartening leaving the sessions having done some of them have been over a thousand squats um feeling like my squats the weakest link but that is just because of the fatigue that's built up so now <clears throat> the fatigue is hiding the fitness and the and the work capacity but as we start to taper off i will start to feel a bit superhuman i'd imagine just because the, the fatigue is slowly in my body so after this deload i think it's Two, well, I've got my trial run on Friday, on Friday, a week tomorrow. So I've got a trial run 10 p.m. till 4 a.m., as I said, a week tomorrow. And the week leading up to that is, I'm not actually sure how that's going to go. But I can tell you, my deload session on Saturday this week is 80 kilos, which is about 190, 175 pounds, 180 pounds, I think, um, for 50 sets of 10 with 60 seconds rest. So that's a deload session. Wow. So I can only imagine. I can only imagine what the next three weeks are going to hold. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think then it's just a, a pretty 
deliberated taper leading into it. So obviously the squat specificity will be very high. The volume will start to drop and I think I'll just start to feel really good just as the volume drops off because it's just it, my joints. And the thing is though as well, I, I know so much more when I'm feeling bad and why I'm feeling bad. Whereas before, you know, you can have some bad sessions lifting. Sometimes you're not as strong as you are. Sometimes you can't shift the, the 40s on the dumbbells as well as you could the day, but the, like the week before. But sometimes that just comes down to sleep. But I, I can now look at the bigger picture of my training and think, right, okay, this feeling is a cumulative, a cumulative effect, or this is a one-off. This is you struggling because of this factor. So my bigger picture mentality now with training as a whole is so much more from a back seat perspective rather than a front seat perspective. So I, I, I've learned so much about my body along the way that I feel like I'm in a really good position to continue doing this sort of thing in the future to the point where I could, I, could, I know how to manage myself physically as well as emotionally because the, the, the psychological effect of this training has been huge because some of those runs in the pouring rain, in the, I mean, the UK doesn't have the, the climate that parts of America does, sadly. So there's been some sessions I've done where I've left the house in sideways rain for three hour runs and got back shivering. I'm asthmatic as well, so that doesn't help. Um, but then it's just, it's just psychologically, I can almost laugh. I can almost take a bit of a sadistic view at it now and know, know that I'll come out the other side stronger rather than start and convince yourself, oh, this isn't worth it. This, the, the pain's not, the pain's not worth it, etc. So it, it, it's been a, been a long journey. And the, the bigger picture, I, I'm, Johnny hasn't told me specifically what his, big his plan has been because i've just wanted to take it week by week so i don't get spooked almost because if he said to me come so we started training with, uh, i think we're in week 13 now and let me just check what my i think my total volume total volume is just shy of a million kilos training um yeah total volume total volume is about seven hundred fifty thousand kilos and total distance is about nine hundred and 950 kilometers so if he'd said to me come the end of november you'll have moved this much and you'll have lifted this much i would have thought oh my god how am i going to do that but taking it week by week and having my bigger picture as the attempt and the cause has just helped me really really focus on each individual session which i think has made it psychologically much easier to deal with. You sound like an ultra runner. I mean, when uh, when you, when you talk like this, it, it just talking about yeah, all all of the uh, all of the volume that you've had to go through, and it also makes me think about ultra runners in that you know they can always do more. It's just figuring out what they can recover from. And I was yeah, wondering, yeah. recovery wise, uh, what's what's your approach been? And have there been any any game changers that you haven't really anticipated? Or like, are you doing more? Are you doing body work? Are you into meditation? Are you just sit in the sauna? Or what do you what do you do to figure out how to recover from this? In, interestingly, I I had to learn that because the first the first ten weeks of my training and the and four weeks leading up to starting, I was actually dieting. So basically trying to lean down so I have as much usable muscle as possible when the time comes. So I was, the last two weeks, I was on 1,900 calories. And then on my, obviously eating back the, the, the cardio, but so on my big Saturdays, I'd, let's say I'd burn just over 2,000 calories on my massive Saturday runs. Come the end of the day, I'd only be eating just shy of 4,000 calories, having run for 20 plus miles, which was just really hard to take in. So the recovery for me, 
sleep has been absolutely essential. I've got into as, as rigid a routine as I can. Um, I've been getting up at the same time every day, been trying to go to bed at the same time every day as much as I can. And I've been trying to eat the same thing in the morning, just stay much more conscious approach to hydration as well as implementing some yoga meditation. I'm not going to lie. I haven't been able to get a grasp with. It's something I want to get better at, but I haven't, I haven't been able to sit down and crack it yet, which is a bit frustrating, but that's almost why I've stopped trying to crack it because it was starting to frustrate me. So I've been reading before bed so that I've got less blue light coming in and I'm just a bit more calm before bed. I feel like my, my sleep quality has been the best it has been in years. And I think that probably comes down to the CV work. The food, I've just been taking a mix of nutritional and psychological approach to it. So I've been trying to eat as many of my carbs around my big sessions as possible. But I've also been making sure that I'm really looking forward to the meal. So I've been cooking more and the cooking's really helped me wind down. In terms of and, – and then the psychological elements of the food has been huge for me. So I can I can look forward and use that as something, which is going to be critical in the attempt itself. I mean – I'm, if, if it's a slice of pizza that gets me through the next 45 minutes, then it's a slice of pizza that gets me through the next 45 minutes. And that that's something that we've actually been trying to trying to figure out as we go. What do you crave when you're in desperation mode? I actually had a, a ham and pineapple pizza the other week, which is something I've never had in my life. But I, I got home and I thought, you know what? I want pineapple on my pizza, which is blasphemy. But <laughs> here we are. Here we are. And um, But physical recovery-wise, the main thing's been sleep. And focusing on trying to get better quality sleep, so no caffeine. I've been having less caffeine, reading before bed rather than sitting on my phone. I've tried yoga. I've been doing three, three to four times a week, and just a bit more general mobility work and things, just to kind of calm myself down. But meditation is something that I want to work on and feel like it'd be beneficial to work on, as I see the benefits, and I know a lot of people that have really reap the rewards from it one thing that i think it could potentially offer you is uh it's all about breath control right and learning to use your breath to yeah. calm your body down uh, i imagine you know uh there are going to be certain points in your 24-hour journey when getting your heart rate down getting your body to calm down is going to be the only challenge <laughs> but but at, yeah. the, at the same time you know i mean you, your, your training is so important yeah i don't want to make you feel bad for not meditating <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like you've got the fundamentals if if you're if you're sleeping well eating well doing yoga three times a week that's a great start man that's uh that, that's yeah. that's yeah, more yeah. than most people are doing yeah it's as much as i can hope for i think I, I do i do honestly want to crack the meditation though it's something that i, I think i just need to commit I think I need a bit more empirical evidence from people. I need to understand how people have helped just get into a good rhythm with it because it's just something that I just don't feel has clicked with me yet. But it's definitely something I want to get better at. So I'll uh, I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know how I get on. Okay. Uh, I, I, th I think it's interesting that you were dieting before this. Was that part of the plan? Because I, I see pictures of you on Instagram now, and you definitely look leaner than you were when you were competing in powerlifting. I saw a picture of you of you know well well over two hundred pounds. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was the, yeah. I'm still, I'm still, just, I'm still just over 200 pounds. I think I'm about 90, 90 and a half kilos, 90, 91 kilos, which I think is just over 200. But I, I peaked at about 100 kilos, so that's 220. So a year ago, I was 220 pounds. For the past year, I've been about 210, and now I'm sitting around the 200 mark. But the the, the dieting was it, basically the, the logic. The logic was we want you to all the all the body weight that you have, we want it to be usable. 
which I, I completely understand and I empathise with. However, being the one that actually had to do the dieting alongside the training, it was quite hard to, to see eye to eye sometimes. But it, it was always part of the plan and I knew it was the case. But I think what it has done as well is really toughen me up psychologically for what's coming. Because, I mean, we'll all have dieted at some point in our lives and we know how grim it can get and how bleak it can be at six o'clock when you know you're having very little left to eat for the day and oh, how am I going to get through this? I'll have a Diet Coke or something like that. It's just, it's bleak. And the, the, what the conversations you start to have with yourself in your head are hard work. And that hard work and the prioritization of my food and how how best I could split up my calories throughout the day so that it would make me as happy as possible and I'd function as well as possible has taught me a lot in terms of the mentality I'm going to need. So if I can, my logic is if I can get through six weeks at 2,000 calories or below as well as getting through this training, then it's going to be a lot easier to, to get myself out of any psychological holes I get into in the 24-hour period because dieting is not easy, is right. it? I mean, we, we all know, but um, I'm glad to be eating more again, put it that way. But the, the, the problem is, I mean, one of the reasons I got into lifting in the first place was because I've always, for my 22 years on this earth, I've always been hungry. I've never been full. It's a it's a it's a curse, but I, I know a lot of people wish that was the case with them. But yeah, dieting dieting when you never get full is even harder right. than dieting when sure. you do get full. <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious. Have you uh, have you followed Ross Edgley in his uh, journey around yes, Great Britain yes. and the open water at all? I, There's a certain resonance that. that I'm feeling here. We yeah. had him on the podcast about six well six months ago, right before it was maybe five seven days before he left. And uh, yeah, brilliant. yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was no, such so a fascinating book. discussion. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a great guy though. And he, he, there's some, some challenges that he went through over the last five months. Cause he just finished swimming around Great Britain, uh, recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a, a little similar to some of what, some of what it sounds like you're going to have to do in terms of just figuring how, figuring out how to fuel yourself through something that's kind of unimaginable to the modern body. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. He ate thousands of bananas. He was swimming six yeah, hours thousands, twice thousands. a day. <laughs> yeah. oh, every day, I, I, I did enjoy seeing people launch bananas off the boat to him every day, actually. <laughs> it was uh, it always it always brought a smile to my face. But no, I, I have an enormous amount of respect for Ross. Um, what he's done is incredible. But I, I, I'm not going to pretend like what I'm doing is comparable because his is, his is a quest rather than a challenge. Right. And hats off to him for do, for doing it with the with the smile on his face that he has done as well. There aren't many people on the planet that could take such a such an optimistic attitude on something so so horrifyingly challenging. But right. what, what I've taken most from him is um, when he talks about again, it's, it comes down to that Zen mentality. It's it's knowing right if I if I swim hard for three hours. I can eat this, I can get out of the water, they'll do this. So if I swim hard for three hours, the current's going to take me this much further. It, it's putting things into a bigger framework so that you can break it down and understand why the work you're doing, what the, what, what the work you're doing equals for the, for the bigger picture. You can't think I'm in a world of pain right now, I want this to stop, because if you think that, you're missing the bigger picture. You need, you need to look at it from every angle. And I think his, his attitude to things is so positive and so he's just so invested in what he's doing that that that's how I'm starting to feel and how I know I need to approach this. But I, I mean, what he what he's done is incredible. Swimming for twelve hours a day, sometimes with a jellyfish. He had a jellyfish stuck to his face for six hours. Right. I mean, 
it's just just utter utter madness, isn't it? But I think there's a I, I've learned a lot from his book. I've learned a lot from seeing his journey, and yeah, the utmost respect to him. And I think the uh, the mentality he has is something that I can definitely tap into for. I've tapped into it already for my training, but right. the challenge itself, the challenge itself, it's going to have to be a look at the big picture, take a step back, and just get on with it. Well, yeah, and I also thought of him because he had some interesting thoughts that he, you know, aside from being a feat swimming around Great Britain, it was also kind of an experiment that he was doing to see um, if muscle really could be the ultimate engine for endurance because he was saying that yep. uh, he, he found that when he was on doing these epic swims, swimming between Caribbean islands, that he had he had more left in the tank than sometimes elite swimmers did because he was so much larger and more muscular and he felt like that gave him extra glycogen storage potential that somebody else who's a lot thinner, because we think of you know endurance athletes being a, a smaller, thinner athlete, something that they just don't have. And that meant that listening to you talk about doing this for 24 hours, you know, you're going into, you're going beyond all energy systems, right? People, yeah, you can yeah, talk yeah. about, okay, this is, this is a phosphate system. This is a glycolytic system. Okay. Now we're, the, we're doing aerobic things, but when you're doing this, you know, for, for 24 hours straight, all, all of that becomes completely academic and it's just about whatever, whatever fuel you can hold on to at a certain yeah. level. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's part of the fun, isn't it? It's, um, what can my body achieve? What what can I endure? I think I think often the the, the phrase endurance athlete is a bit too narrow minded. I mean, if you look at the Barclay Marathons, for example, they aren't just endurance runs; they are endurance of the mind. It's it's basically ultra orienteering. I mean, have you seen? Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. the Barclay sure, Marathons. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just. I mean, they're twisted. The 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 the. the what you need to approach mentally and physically to get through them is just incredible. And I think, I think that's, that's what it comes down to is it, that is endurance. The, the notion of endurance is how much can you take and what can your body achieve beyond, as you say, beyond energy systems. And I'm, I'm not going to lie in a sadistic sort of way. I'm excited to see what happens. And I'm, I'm we're obviously going to manage it as, as closely as we can. And with as much emphasis on, yeah, just the, the, the principles that we academically know, but there's going to be unpredictability, isn't there? Because I'm not, I'm not, I've not done this before. Right. I've not, I've not. The, the, I mean, the longest I've trained for the the watt bike the other day, four hours was probably the longest, and then the three hour and five minute uh, lunge, squat, and push press session was the longest I've lifted weights for in any given period, and that was pretty constant. Well, yeah, it, it, I mean, it was constant in terms of my rest with no longer than 60 seconds, really. But I've started to feel, I, if someone looked at me and thought I looked like I was glazing over and I felt, I felt a bit delirious after about two, two and a half hours. And I, I just started eating some, I ate some Jaffa cakes and things and just immediately felt like I'd come back around and had, had a second wind. So I think I've, I have started to have some early signs of some energy systems letting me down a little bit. Which is something that prior to training for this, I'd never, I'd never understood and experienced personally. So it's been, it's been interesting to feel, feel the academics, mm -hmm. <laughs> really understand how they've been affecting my body. And I think the closer we get to the challenge, the more of an understanding I have. I'm never going to have a full understanding of it until I've done it, but it'll be, it'll be a journey. It'll be a journey. For the squat nerds out there, or the power lifters out there who might uh, be angry with us for skipping the details, I, I, I wanted to ask you. So, you're doing high bar or low bar? Both. Okay. So the plan is I squat, annoyingly I squat in, I squat low bar and flats. So my strongest 
my strongest stance is flats and probably just outside shoulder width, about 30 degrees on my feet. So my ankles don't change enormously. I'm not, I'm not sort of parallel to the ground with my upper body as some low bar squatters are, um, just due to my femur length. But the plan is to kind of work my grip width and stance width out and in, just so I can give bits of rest to different parts of me. So interestingly, my session on Tuesdays for the past three weeks has been, I've had a heavy triple, then two AMRAPs at 80% of that triple. Those were all low bar. And then I've had 10 sets of 10 at 220 pounds um, with 60 seconds rest alternating. So I've gone low bar, high bar, low bar, high bar for the 10 sets. So having to change shoes in between sets is a bit of a pain. But okay, so so you will squat high bar in 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 squat shoes and low bar in flats. Yeah, yeah. So on the day yeah, of as well. Wow. On the day of, yeah. But I think um, I'm not sure how I'm going to actually split them up. Whether it's going to be 25 minutes in high bar, 25 minutes in low bar, or whether it's going to be five sets low bar, five sets high bar. We're not sure yet. That's something that we're figuring out. But you, you're very right to ask the question because it's a. Uh, it was my. It was one of my first thoughts. Actually, I was thinking, how on earth am I going to actually manipulate my biomechanics to be as efficient as I can with my energy? Because I can already feel, even doing the the, the forty kilo squats as part of the big pyramid, I could feel where I was breaking down, and then I could slightly change my body angle and my positioning, and I suddenly the squat felt a lot stronger. So again, it's just it's just learning to learning to know my own body and just knowing when is best to utilize the changes and, and interestingly as well something we've been discussing is basically keep, keeping all my um all my tricks up my sleeve until i need them so i think i'll probably start without sleeves for as long as i can i won't use a belt until i absolutely need it i won't use caffeine until i absolutely need it i won't use stimulants until i absolutely need them i'll save the really psychologically rewarding foods until i absolutely need them etc etc i'll only sleep if i absolutely need to the music will be calm i'll probably listen to podcasts and classical music to start with and then it might end up getting to slayer ramstein who knows who knows how far, far I'll be <laughs> how, how far into the depths you go <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but, um well spe- just, speaking speaking of depth how, how deep are you planning on squatting as well so the the guidelines are hip crease in line with the knee I mean, as you've seen from the, the evidence available to us online, that wasn't the case in the previous one. But the I'll be I'll be squatting to powerless in depth because um, that's what I'm used to. So it'll be consistently hip crease below the knee, and yeah, that's with 60 kilos. I've I, I don't think I've ever I've ever not squatted to below parallel on that. And if I do, then I hope someone shouts at me for doing so. <laughs> Are, are there um, are there any supplements that have helped you along the way? I mean, it's easy to say something like, oh, yeah, take creatine, take beta alanine because it can help you with the lactate. But at the same time, when we're talking about this volume, you're, you're beyond any, anything that has ever been tested in yeah, the lab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've used a bit of a beta, beta alanine for my harder endurance sessions. But honestly, I've never really used many supplements. I've, I've, I've always used whey protein as an available protein source. I've used creatine in the past with bodybuilding stuff, but electrolytes and carb powders, and I've used um, energy gels with caffeine in them for my longer runs. So they've got 25 milligrams of caffeine in a 150 calorie carb gel. So I've used them on my longer sessions. And beyond that, it's just been electrolytes and carb powders, really. Mm. 
Yeah, one one of my because, uh, one of my coworkers was asking me if you were using gels, and I uh, I planning to use gels, and I I thought that that you know that works for some people in an, in an endurance event when there's a bathroom on the side of the trail, um, but I I think there's a it made us wonder: Have you considered the possibility that you'd shit your pants during all of this? Is that is that a is that a concern? <laughs> These are the questions we must ask, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> um, no, I ha- I have I have. I mean, I, one of my friends was actually joking, saying I should just wear a nappy. And just not go to the bathroom because it's going to get to that stage. But I have I have pondered that idea. You're right. It's, it's keeping me up at night. But I think I'm going to try and stick to what I know as much as I can. And the, the focus, my, my, this is me. This isn't for my coach. My plan is to just keep my nutrition as basic as possible for the next sort of four weeks. But like baseline carbs, just your standard. I mean, it would just your classic bro foods, really. Just white rice, easily digestible carbs, oats, fruit, etc. So I'm used to digesting them, but also know that they're easy to get through and they have a, a, an easily accessible carb source. Because I do want to avoid gels at all costs for the reason that you've mentioned. Because although I'll be close to a toilet, the last thing I want to do is to, yes, as you've said, lose control, lose in, time in front of a I mean. <laughs> in front of a crowd. Yeah, you lose time. We'll go with that. That's that sounds a lot better than a lot better than what you said. But um, yeah, no, it, it is a concern. But I, um, we've we've already tactically thought about where I can position myself so I'm closest to the toilet. Even at one point, consider getting a portal uh, brought into the gym. But sadly, I don't think uh, I don't think health and safety allows that. Well, so so I, I just I find myself wondering what. What's going to go on in your body during this? You know, obviously it's going to be a, a real mental challenge, but just on, on a physiological level, I, I wonder, you know, what, what what happens in a body when you do this? What are you what are you hoping to learn from your um, from your sort of mock game day that you have coming up? Um, I think the main thing to determine is exactly how I'm going to attack it. So how we're divvying up the reps. I mean, we'll obviously play around with the things that I mentioned before and then determine which feels best, which looks best, whether I'm breaking down or anything. Beyond that, basically, how I digest foods, how my nutrition, sorry, my, how my hydration holds up. Because in my sessions, I'll, I'll admit, I've probably got hydration a bit wrong. I've waited a bit too long. I've not been sipping enough or my sips have been too small and I've started to feel really, really dehydrated. Before I know it, I'm having a big sip of water and I'm like, wow, that's refreshing. And if you get into that stage, you're already too far gone. Right. So I need to, I need to learn. It, it's kind of, I'm going to have to fit a lot into a small period of time, but it's trying to understand my body physically in the way that I've learned to stand, understand it emotionally. So I'm going to need to know when, when is the time to fight and when the time is to zen out. So when, when can I just go through the motions and have, have some food here or there, have, have a, a small carb source here, drink my water, and when am I going to need a meal? When am I going to need to sit down? When am I going to need to go to the bathroom? How long is it going to take me to get up from going to the bathroom? Things like this. Where do I cramp first? How do I manage cramps most effectively for me? If I need massages, will I be able to recover from them quickly enough? Will they actually do anything for me? This sort of thing. It, it we're, we're basically going in blind and just having the resources there to play with in the time that we've got to just see how much we can learn. But it's six hours at the end of the day. Six hours is a quarter of the time that I'm going to be doing. And a quarter of the time, I mean, if you put that into a marathon framework, a quarter of a marathon, a quarter of an ultra marathon, well, sorry, if you, if you times a marathon by four, you've got something that you wouldn't really predict if you've just done a marathon, would you? 
you wouldn't be able to use the protocols you've used 26.2 miles in a 100 miler. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but I'm sure we'll be able to take something away from the trial run about sure. my about my body. But um, I think my write-up post-attempt will be interesting on how I felt and what happened. And right. I mean, I'll be, I'm really curious to see how long I sleep for afterwards as well. That's something I'm really excited to find out. <laughs> Just how much am I going to need? But we'll see. We'll see. What do, uh, what do your family and friends think of all this? Annoyingly, actually, I, not many of my friends have any faith in me. I'm kind of having to convince... <laughs> I'm kind of having to convince them. My, my friends that have lifted with me or have, tra- have competed or anything that do, but it's when you break it down to to just the average, the sort of average person that doesn't train, and you just do the maths. They're thinking, no way. I've never done a squat with sixty kilos in my life, and you're going to do it that many times in theory. But my my mom doesn't like the the fact that it's going to take such a toll on me. I think she's just uncomfortable with the fact that it's such a challenge. My dad, my dad's background, he was actually a professional cricketer. So he's cricket for years was a very very dark sport for suicide. It was the worst the worst sport in the world for suicide ratings at one point. So around the time when he left, so he's he knows he knows too many people that he's played cricket with or played cricket against that have taken their own lives. So the cause for him is is quite topical. He's, he's never he's never had any mental health challenges himself, but he it's it's been huge for huge for the cricketing world it's, it's much improved may i add there's um there's bodies out there that have done really well but it's still an issue because it's such a it, it's a sport where you can just put in the hours and you don't need to stop you can always keep going so when you move out of it you lose basically your all your time and you need to fill that void somehow and it it, it was it was harder back then than it is now to do so so for him it, and he's i think he just believes in me physically because he, he knows i can push myself and he knows things are hard but he just believes in in my investment in the cause. My brother, my brother is actually a cricketer as well, um, semi-professional, and he's stupidly strong. He, he deadlifted four hundred and fifty pounds when he was sixteen. So there's there's something in the family, I think. But he he can push himself really hard as well because he he was he was actually quite fat when he was younger. So he worked really hard to to lose all the weight, and along the way was just got himself in really 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 good neck. So he 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 believed in me. But then my friends kind of get it, but they're, they're not sure how it's going to go. Um, but they're all really behind the cause and really, really behind why I'm doing it, which is really important to me. I'm really helping to get through it. The, the physical side of it, I think it's kind of unpredictable, really. I mean, I'm not going to have a go at my friends for not having faith in me. Because to be honest, if someone came to me and said, I'm going to cycle 500 miles tomorrow, I would say, actually, no way. No way. You're not going to do that. It's just, it's just the shock, isn't it? It's not, it's not thinking about the things that have gone into it. Because when I put it to them twelve weeks ago, thirteen weeks ago, saying I'm doing this, I hadn't gone through the training. They hadn't seen what I'd been given up. They hadn't seen the silly sessions I've got on the Saturdays and things. So faith is building. But my friends and family have been very supportive and very active in terms of pushing the cause and really getting it into the right channels. Because that, that's something I'm very keen to do is I, I just, I really do want to spread the roots as deep as they can go with, with my message. Cause I think it can resonate with a lot of people, especially in the bodybuilding and powerlifting and CrossFit world, because we know a lot of people use lifting as a coping mechanism, but that's, that's brilliant, but it, it should go slightly beyond the coping mechanism. There should be, there should be a solution as well. The mechanism shouldn't just stop at coping. You shouldn't get through life feeling like you you're just coping. You should you should thrive, and 
I think the foundations that lifting and training and the lifestyle of it all gives you such fantastic foundation for the rest of your life. If we can all harness that coping mechanism to something a bit bigger than that and actually provide a solution from it, then we're moving in the right direction. I completely agree. And yet when I think of you on that day, whether you succeed or whether you fail, then this is done, right? What, what, exactly. com- what, what comes so after this? Whether, whether you succeed or whether you fail, what, what comes next? And how do you, how do you keep from, from you know, feeling that space too much? I've actually got my next world record waiting approval, interestingly. <laughs> but next year, I am just hoping to keep building on the foundations that I've built with this campaign hoping to take a bit more of a, a business perspective to it. So I'm hoping to work a bit more closely with specific people to really build something like, uh, because this is, this is basically before that, all my social media has been completely new. All my affiliations, all, all the stuff I've done has been completely, completely off my own back. One man band from the middle of August until now. So where I've got to in the time I'm really happy with, but I'm thinking if I can take a year to really build something like and actually just get get some faith behind it is almost a movement so i'm trying to be as interactive with schools as interactive with companies as i can be just to spread the word and i think once i've got success or failure once i've got this under my belt and i know what my physical tasks for next year are going to be i'm hoping i can really push the cause and really just use me myself as an example of how everything i discuss can be manifested into day-to-day life so, yeah, that, that, that's the plan as it is, but we'll see what happens. Sure. So, so you don't feel like all of that hinges on you breaking no, breaking the record necessarily. Not at all. I'm, I'm very glad. I'm very glad you um, you put it like that actually, because I'm very keen that people don't lose sight of the fact that this is about the bigger picture and that the attempt is the focal point for the cause. It's it's a means to an end, not an end in itself, and the the, the end is a reduction in the amount of suicides in men around the world and the cause is just one way of highlighting those statistics and hopefully getting some men to engage with each other more. And I'm, I'm just very keen that people keep, I, I, I've not lost sight of that at all, which I'm very happy with myself for not doing because I, I think it'd be easy to get swallowed up in it. But I do, there's a few people, a few people I need to remind that the attempt isn't, isn't it. That's not it. it it's, it's the focal point. It's the, it's the, the foundation of, of which to work off. And hopefully by doing something extreme, as you cited before, I'm saying I can take myself into hell so that I can inspire some men to get themselves out. That's great. So, so you do have, you have a page where people can donate as well, right? Yes, I do. The best way to do it, if you just search Movember and Fergus Crawley, F-E-R-G-U-S-C-R-A-W-L-E-Y, that's the best way to do it. Um, and then Facebook and Instagram are both at 24 hours underscore of underscore power. And there's links all over the place, but a lot of write-ups and things as well. So I've got done full write-ups on my story, my experience, the role that my dog played in everything, a bit more detail than I gave today. Um, and then just bits and bobs here. And I'm, I'm hoping as well that when I'm live streaming the event, in the gaps where I'm not squatting, I'm going to have some stories from other people, anonymous or named. So I'm, I'm hoping to just fill in the gaps when I'm not squatting with just stories from others, just to, just to share share people's experiences and 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 just put things into perspective, really. Because the, the key message I've been having fed back is 
not feeling like you're alone in in a world where we're all striving to be successful and need to be successful because it's it, it, everything is becoming a little bit harder day by day. Jobs are a bit harder to get. Rent's a little bit higher. Everybody's striving to be successful. Everybody's ambitious. But the more ambition and the more strive there is, the further we have to fall. So I think it's it's just great for people to know that that that's society. That's not them. They they may suffer more than others do, but there'll be people suffering with you. And by opening up, you are taking the first necessary steps to helping yourself out of that struggle and that suffering. And by opening up, you might be helping someone else out along the way as well, which is great. Sure. So if somebody wants to watch the live stream, because I'm, I'm definitely going to check in on this and see where you're at at various hours along the way, where is that going to be? So that'll be on Facebook, which is Fergus Crawley dash GWR attempt. And it'll be on the website, which is www.24hoursofpower.co.uk. And then the gym itself will be streaming it, which is Lift Gyms UK on Facebook. There'll be plenty of places to access it. Don't have the details of the live stream finalized yet, but that will be where it's available. And I'll make sure I make it available to you guys. Wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you for giving us so much time. This is a, it's been a really fascinating, uh, fascinating conversation. Sounds like it's been a fascinating journey for you as well. It has been. It has been. And um, I'm hoping it'll be just as fascinating in the weeks to come as well. All right. Well, thank thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.